Hey, Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. This week, we're hearing from Pastor Micah Shepline. We love when he comes and visits. So make sure you give this podcast a listen. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. Today I want to talk about something, and I've kind of titled it Redeeming the Robbery. Now, if you notice, right, one of the best bank robber films of all time, Ocean's Eleven, if you haven't seen it or you don't even know what I'm talking about, or you've only watched like 12 or 13 or whatever, do yourself a favor, go watch that. I could have easily thrown up like The Italian Job, another classic. Um, there's, I, I'm a fan of bank robber movies, John Dillinger, Public Enemy, I'm a big, I'm a big big movie guy, but uh, I was just thinking specifically, and actually this has been a concept that we've been working on here, or I've been working on here for a while, is this aspect of, once again, redeeming the robbery, and and what I mean by that is, I'm going to kind of get into later about kind of scripturally what happened in Genesis 3 when kind of all of humanity uh, crumbled because of one mistake, uh, the plan of humanity, I would say. And, and really what I want to do, though, is I want to set the table for that by kind of understanding the context of how often it's used. And you might be surprised, even the imagery, the specific story of Jesus dying on the cross next to the thieves, the two thieves, and really understanding that story. But before we do, I felt like the scripture today that uh, kind of is the backdrop of everything we're going to filter everything through is in Matthew 10, 28. And it says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but not the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And essentially, what I want to challenge us to today is I think that genuinely in our culture, we're more afraid of people who can kill our bodies rather than the things that kill our souls. And so what we're going to be highlighting today specifically is maybe some instances where we don't even realize there's things in our hearts that have been almost suppressing our soul and suppressing um, our view of our Savior into a way where our soul is maybe drying out and really highlighting those things in a way that maybe we can grow and overcome this morning. But before we do, I want to talk about um, a story that is very incriminating. Now, some of you guys are like, well, you tell stories all the time. They're all incriminating. Very true. But this one's a little bit more. Uh, We were actually, me and my wife were on, uh, she doesn't know I'm going to tell this, but we were on uh, our honeymoon in in Cancun. And while we were there, I read before going in, don't bring a ton of pesos because people will try to get your pesos. I love saying pesos. I don't know why. It's just a fantastic word. Whoever, uh, yeah, pesos. Anyway. Um, I want to say it like 400 more times now, but I'm not going to. Grace used to get so mad at me when I'd say pesos anyway. I don't even care. Oh, uh, pesos. Uh, but while we were there, I remember we go in the airport and people were, and I remember walking out and the cops asked us like about our luggage and blah, blah, blah. They asked us if we had any pesos on us. And I was like, no, we don't. And I was like, okay, good thing we didn't. And then if you were here Months ago, I told a story about how we got pulled over, and the guy was like, you're speeding, and he said, an amount of pesos, pesos, and I said, I said, I don't have any, and then he goes, okay, well, do you have this many, and I said, no, and then he said, well, do you have this many, I said, no, and then he goes, what are you doing here, and I said, I'm on my honeymoon, and he said, all right, have a good day, <laughs> so, so I think I proved my theory right of not bringing a ton of pesos with us, but there was one instance where we needed pesos, 
And I remember we took, I took Grace out and we went to, we went to dinner and we were, at a, we were at a shopping center and I was in a parking garage and we went out and it was a great dinner and a great time. And I remember, you know, a parking garage in America, you guys know how all these works, right? You scan your ticket and then you, you slide your card and well, bam, you're out. The only problem is, is this one, you scan your ticket, you can't slide your card. Now, I don't have any American dollars on me either because once again, Google says... Right? How many of us live our lives like that? Like, Google it. Okay, this is definitely absolute truth. Uh, and I remember I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, this isn't good. And I backed up, and there was an attendant, like, five, ten, uh, probably, no, more than that, probably, like, 30 or 40 feet away. And there was kind of two exits out of the garage. And I back up, and I go knock on the window, and I said, hey, I don't have any pencils. Pencils. God, I love that word. And uh, the attendant looks at me, and she's cannot speak English, which in this area of town, I just kind of was under the assumption, especially in Cancun, typically it's a pretty westernized area of Mexico. So I'm like, okay, trying to explain to her, I don't have pesos, but I have a card. Can I pay on a card? And she go, and kind of through her broken English says, you know, there's an ATM. So then I go to this ATM, but then my bank is from Southwest Michigan. And they're like, you're trying to pull money out in Cancun, Mexico. Heck no, right? Like, well, you're from Michigan. You ain't down there. This is COVID, too. It was like, it was height of COVID um, in Dece- uh, end of December. And so I remember I'm like, I'm like kind of in this place of like, okay, I can't get any pencils. And this lady, I can't explain what's going on. And finally, she, like, I come back from going in the mall, trying to get all these ATMs, trying to figure it all out. And, and I go back, and I'm like, hey, these cards won't give me pencils, and, and I don't know what to do. And can I just, like, cash app you? Venmo, anything, like what is, how is this happening right now? And at this point, we have now been in this parking garage probably 45 minutes. And she goes, oh, I'm going to try to call my supervisor, figure this out. So I'm sitting in my car, and your boy's getting a little hot, and I'm not just talking temperature. And I'm like, how in the world could we be in Cancun and not use a car in a parking garage? I'm like, and not only that, how is it that my little small bank in St. Joe, Michigan just won't recognize that, of course I would be in Cancun, Mexico. Why wouldn't you give me my money? And so I'm just sitting there and I'm steaming and I have this moment where, and Grace knows when I'm mad, she just gets real quiet and just kind of sits there. And so I'm just like looking out the window in just blind rage. How many of us dudes can attest we've done that before? You just look out the window and you're not spacing out. You're, You're melting down on the inside, but just not saying anything. And so I remember I'm like looking out the window and I'm like, what am I going to do? And, and I look and there's two exits and uh, a car goes through this one, and the, but a car goes through this one and as the thing goes up, the car goes down, it takes a while to go back down. <laughs> and I look and I, <laughs> and I go, Grace, did you see how long that took? <laughs> and she goes, no, no. Do not do it. And I'm like, okay, okay. Five minutes later, because everybody was using this one right here. But every time somebody came over here, this one was. And I'm sitting there, in the long, and this lady is not coming. And the longer I'm sitting there, I'm looking, and I'm like, God, is this you? <laughs> and finally, I literally said this to myself. I said, I said, if this lady ain't here in the next five minutes, we're doing this. Well, five minutes pass. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, should I say another five? I said, you know what? If a car pulls up in front of me in the next 30 seconds and goes there, I am shooting it. And Grace has, I'm not telling Grace this because I know. 
And so she said, I don't know where the lady's at, blah, blah, blah. Well, you better believe that thing went up. That car went through, and your boy went fast. And the best part was is like, the way home, Grace is worst case scenario. We're followed by cops, the CIA. I mean, the FBI's on us. We're all we're going to prison. It's gonna. This is, and I'm sitting there like we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. And the worst part is we pull into our area garage, and when we get out of our car, our guy a guy walks right up to us, and Grace is withering, just <laughs> withering on the ground. And, and he walks up and he goes, "Hey, uh, are you staying here?" And I go, "Yeah." And I'm just real confident, like trying to just act like nothing. And Grace is just like. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we are. And he's like, okay, uh, what room are you? And I said, our room number. He's like, all right. And I go to the room. Naturally, Grace has to go to the bathroom. Can't wait to get back to the room. I'm trying to get us back to the room where we can have intercession to make sure we're not going to jail that night. Long story short, we made it out alive. <laughs> Never got a ticket or nothing. I don't really know what happened, but we got out. But the reason I tell that story is I think that this is kind of how a lot of our walks with the Lord are, is when we're in trouble, we get as close as we can to get out of the thing that we're facing. And then the moment we're out, we're done. And today, really what I wanted to talk about is this idea that I, I believe that a lot of the things that maybe we're facing are, are diseases of distance, where essentially we get close when we need him, we get far when we don't. We get close when we're boxed in. We get far when we don't. We get close when we really need a miracle, but we leave when we don't. We get close when we can't figure it out on our own, and we hope that somebody can help us. And, and really, if that's how we've had our spiritual journey with the Lord, we're missing out on so much more of the fullness. We're missing so much of, of our life's meaning because all we're doing is wanting fire insurance for every single fire that pops up. And so what I want to talk about today is, in my opinion, there are, and this is going to be a tough conversation, I think, for some people, because I believe that throughout Scripture, what God was doing in the garden is he was redeeming the robbery of what, mankind, what, what happened with mankind. If you look at the original creation plan and story, it was Adam and Eve walking with God in relationship. It was Adam and Eve in proximity. And then what happened is, is that's robbed in one instance, and I recommend you read Genesis 3, where what happened is, is this one choice ultimately renders us defeated in the, a defeated mindset for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after this. And, and more than anything, what I want to focus on today is I believe that there are people in this room where we're looking at God and saying, you robbed me of something. You robbed me. You took something from me that I don't understand. You did something to me that I can't comprehend. There is something I'm walking through right now that I want to know why you did that. And God's asking you the question, do you believe that I can redeem the robbery? Because in the whole essence of the gospel, that's everything the Bible is. As humanity was robbed from God, the redeeming plan began. And what's so, so hard about us coming to God and saying, God, okay, I'm going to trust you or I'm going to believe in you is that, that that's very easy to say but very hard to believe and walk out in. And more than anything today, once again, I feel like that the people in all honesty who walk away from the Lord is because they feel like they've been robbed of so much. How can a God this good do this to us? And, you know, I'll never forget when we were here, uh, I got blindsided early on in ministry with the, with the ultimate question. 
And the ultimate question is, why does a, a good God let bad things happen? And I remember I was very early here, and it was a high school student who asked me. And, and I, I remember getting asked, and I was like, dang, how did I not think about this before? Because I know I was going to get asked this at some point, but I'd never really thought about my response. And I remember looking at this kid, and I, I just sat there, and immediately I just had one thought. It was totally the Holy Spirit. I said, you know, the worst thing happened to the most perfect person, and we're called to live his lifestyle. There's going to be difficulty and things that we could never explain, but we've got to trust God. And I think a lot of us, we want to follow God with nothing bad happening, but we've got to trust that it's not about nothing bad happening. It's about God redeeming the bad, not to make it good, but to make it palatable and, can, and able for us to go forward trusting that he has a plan. But what I want to do is I actually want to focus on the theme of robbery and thieves because what you might find is actually that, that this theme is found throughout Scripture, whether that's in Genesis 3 where, where the serpent steals what mankind was supposed to be and ultimately kind of contorts it into the image of sin and, and all of these negative things. You also find in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, uh, you know, Jesus talking about, you know, how he's going to come as a thief in the night for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus kind of referencing this as well as Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he might go about naked and be seen exposed. Not to mention there's the thieves in the Good Samaritan story, the tax collectors of the day being viewed as thieves, Judas being a thief as it called him a pilferer. Um, and there's so many other, but what I want to focus on is in my opinion is so interesting is you have the stealing of humanity in Genesis 3 and then in Jesus's final moments the stealing of humanity back with the backdrop of thievery why because Jesus is crucified next to two thieves now what you have to understand though is when we read this story in Luke 23 this is kind of going to be the bulk of our passage today what you have to understand is you've got to understand the context of what these thieves were and what I mean by that is when we read this story in Luke 23, it's actually going to reference these thieves as criminals. But what you have to understand is we, through research, know that they were thieves. And really in kind of the orthodox Christian stance, they've actually named these thieves. We don't believe, I don't necessarily know if these are their, their exact names, but it's interesting. And I actually want to give some backdrop of what these thieves were within the culture. And, and essentially, I kind of wrote these notes. We know these men, the thieves that hung on the cross with Jesus... Based on other writings of text, we know specifically that they were thieves. And even further, we have Orthodox Christians calling him by the names Gestus, which is the repented one, and Dismas, which is the bitter one. What's fascinating is Romans typically did not crucify those of petty crimes. Thievery was not a sign of crucifixion. However, at the times of Passover, typically prisoners were released historically. And you actually see that in Jesus' story when Barabbas was released. So the prison population was low. Another insight is that most of the time Romans would not go through one single crucifixion. And actually, if you look at history, that's when there's times in histories where it said they would line the highways with bodies being crucified as a symbol of Roman occupation and oppression. Now, if you had one person up, obviously it's fearful, but if you have hundreds up or dozens up, that's a whole nother level. So what we see is, is that they didn't crucify Jesus by himself because they, Romans wanted the maximum amount of fear in people's lives. 
right? Another insight is that most of the time the Romans would not go through a single crucifixion of one person, but would rather multiply to incite the most amount of fear. They also wanted most people to be affected. So the reason what they would do is they would go into prisons and they would try to pick kind of the widest uh, socioeconomic class or understanding of the region to where when people looked at who was being crucified, they would look and say, oh, that could have been me. So when they're going into, when they're choosing crucifixions, they're looking for the widest array of people to crucify to show that nobody is untouchable. They also wanted the most people to be affected. And in the Jewish communities, you did not have the sheer amount or volume of crucifiable crimes just based off of the Mosaic law. So what happens is, is when Rome would crucify in Jerusalem, when they would crucify, they were crucifying not normal circumstances, but because they didn't have anybody else and the fear tactic that they wanted to use was crucifixion, they would just pick people who really didn't do a ton wrong and crucify them. So in all honesty, the thieves that were crucified with Jesus are unlucky they're unfair. They're picked on and products of a vile chance that forced them to die in a manner that maybe they didn't fully deserve. What am I trying to say before we even get into this story is now when we read this story, I think you're going to understand the one who's looking at Jesus saying, can't you just save yourself and us? Because we didn't really deserve it either. You know, we've sinned and we've done wrong, but not to the level of what this cross says we should be going through. Man, doesn't that feel like us sometimes? I've sinned and I've done wrong, but God, how am I going through to the level of what this is? How am I dealing with this in the, in the, in the severity of what this is? And, and essentially, we're going to get into that. But before we do, I want to read the story, Luke 23, 37. Over Jesus' head on the cross was written an inscription in Greek, Latin, and Aramaic. This man is the king of all Jews. And the soldiers laughed and scoffed at him, saying, Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? One of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, What kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and save us from death. The criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man, saying, Don't you fear God? You're about to die. So what happens is Jesus is hanging on the cross and these two criminals are now arguing back and forth, one rebuking Jesus and saying, how in the heck could you say you're something of a savior when you can't even save yourself? And the other criminal pipes up and he says, don't you know you're about to die? And listen to that, we're being repaid for what we've done, but this man's done nothing wrong. Now that's an interesting insight because we know that they're thieves. We know that they don't necessarily deserve this, but this guy has a very healthy perspective of, I've sinned a lot and it's just, this is just how it's going out. And then listen to the next passage, it says this. Then he said, I beg of you, Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. Jesus responded, I promise to you this very day you will enter paradise with me. So we've got two different, and in my opinion, I'll be honest, we have two very different worldviews. And in the church today, these are a lot more relevant than you think. We've got one, one thief looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you can't even save yourself. What are you doing? Why is this happening? 
Why can't you just do it this way? Why can't you just get, make this easy? Why can't you just get us through this? Why can't, can't you just take all this away? And we have another man. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. And you know, God, if this is what I'm going to have to go through, I'll go through it. But I trust in your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And I'd rather have eternity. See, man, that is a, now that we're explaining this story, isn't it interesting, the contrast based off of how we live today? Because, man, it's very easy. Maybe some of us, we're not on a physical cross, but it feels like emotionally and mentally we're pinned against something that is robbing us of our life. And all we're doing is asking God, God, why aren't you rescuing me? Why aren't you making this easier? Why aren't you just taking me down off of this? Why aren't you just doing it my way? Instead of us recognizing, God, I've sinned, and I know that sin ultimately leads to death, and so I trust and believe that when I repent and receive your grace and lean into you and trust you that you'll bring me into life once again. And this is a really deep story. I, I, I'm not trying to get so deep today where a lot of us are, you know, because I like to joke a lot too, but this story, once again, redeeming the robbery, is we've got Genesis 3, where humanity is robbed of what it's supposed to become. And then we have Luke 23, where Jesus is hanging on the cross as a thief with two other thieves, stealing back what mankind was supposed to be. And the imagery to me is so interesting because once again, in the very instance of the beginning, something is stolen. And in this instance, God is stealing from the devil what was always supposed to be his. And so what I wanna talk about today is the idea of how we as people can choose a mindset of being redeemed over robbed. Because this is where it gets interesting, right? Is there's always going to be a flip side to belief and faith, right? Is I believe in God, we can say every Sunday morning, but then the moment that we face something on Tuesday, be like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't really believe that you can get me out of this. I don't really, but back on church on Sunday, okay, I can say it again. How do we go from not having a robbed mindset of, God, you did this. I've went through this. I don't understand this. You took this from me to, God, I know I'm a redeemed son and daughter of you. I know you've got a plan even when it's painful. I know you've got a plan even when it hurts. I know you've got a plan even when I'm uncertain. I know you've got a plan because I've been redeemed by your blood. I'm a son and a daughter of you. And I will never have a mindset of, God, you robbed me of something. But rather, maybe this doesn't line up with what I wanted. But I can trust you to bring about what I need. So what I want to do is I want to talk specifically on those mindsets. How do we choose a mindset of redeemed over robbed? The first one is this, our faith ends the moment we go from trusting God to blaming God. It ends the moment we start, we stop trusting and we stopped blaming. Listen to this, if the robber who ridiculed Jesus knew what the other robber would get for repenting, do you think he would have been blaming? Do you think he would have been doing, saying the things he would have done? If he would have known exactly what that other robber was going to get, do you think he would have said the things he would have said? And what I'm trying to say today is this, is I think that for some of us, we don't realize that one sin caused eternal separation. Adam's story. 
And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what that means is that really we have, uh, in, in essence, from a biblical perspective, we have, outside of Jesus, a sentence of death. But when we accept him and choose him, we have new life in him. So I think a lot of the times what we get hung up on is when maybe we go through seasons of, of weaning or trying times or, or difficulty, right? And it maybe feels like a physical, emotional, or, or, or painful moment. It's just so easy to think that the pain is death rather than, listen, we've already been redeemed. God's not trying to rob us of anything. We've actually been given everything that we could have never earned on our own we've still got to choose to believe. And man, you know how difficult that is? It's like to walk up to somebody who I know has been through something difficult and say, oh, don't worry, believe in God. And I'm not trying to say that this morning because we all have processes of grief. We all have things that we're going to need to walk through. We all have seasons where maybe it's, it's not about us saying, God, I believe in you as much as it is saying, God, will you just help me to continue following you know, David and Solomon's stories are laced inter interwoven context of not doubting God, but being very frustrated with him. Not doubting what God can do, but essentially being very open and honest and saying, why do I feel like you've forgotten me? Why do I feel like you don't see me? Why do I feel like you won't, you, you don't care? Why do I, and ultimately what's happening is at the very end of a lot of these passages, oh, but I'll put my trust in you. But I'll believe in you but I'll follow you, but I'll pursue you. And so what I want to do is challenge you today. If you're looking here and you're saying, God, and we're blaming him instead of trusting him, we've really already lost the battle. The second thing, once again, like I said, how do we choose a mindset of being redeemed over robbed is we can't be followers of Christ and believers in the doctrine of cynicism. You know, cynicism is an inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest and skepticism. It's a doubting and an unbelieving that there's good in people. And in all honesty, I, I'm not going to lie, this is a struggle that I have felt the weight of as 2020 and, and 2021 has happened is, do we actually believe in a good God? Do we actually believe in the good of humanity and mankind? Because I'm not going to lie, when you turn on the news... Or when you get around some people, you, re, you sit there and you go, man, do they see any good? And this is Christians I'm talking about. Do we see any good? Do we see God in people? Because here's what you have to realize is that God died for all of mankind. He didn't just die for your little corner and crevice of southwest Michigan. And, and for me specifically, I think that we have to realize that cynicism is the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, Right? Cynicism is when you're hanging on the cross doubting God's power, doubting that he can do anything, forgetting who Jesus was. I mean, no offense if I'm a robber or I'm the negative robber in that day. How could you look at God and say, why can't you save yourself when you've heard the stories of him raising people from dead? It's not that he couldn't save himself. It was because there was something bigger at work. And for some of us, maybe we're in situations where we're wondering, what in the heck is going on? And instead of doubting God's power, maybe we should start thinking to ourselves, man, is there something bigger you're trying to do here? Yes. Yes. Is there something more that I'm not seeing and I'm not understanding that you're wanting to do? 
If Jesus can take a criminal on a cross to the kingdom in an instant, he can take the people you are cynical about and do the same thing. And the cynical people, once again, are people where we look and we say, okay, you know, it's hard to believe God died for other sins when we don't even believe they're worth our own time. I mean, it's hard to believe that God really, when we look at our world, wants to change and, 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 be, uh, and, 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 and love everybody and have a relationship with everybody. When you meet people and you're like, dang, I don't want to be around that person for another 20 seconds. But we've got to choose to believe even the passage that he's, he's, do you realize he's placed a good work inside that if chosen, he will be faithful to complete that if people choose God, he's actually placed a faithful, good work inside of them that he wants to see come to completion, but it's up to them to choose it. Now, if you went up to somebody who you were very cynical about, where essentially you looked and said, they don't have any good in them, they don't see anything positive, I don't want to be around them, and we looked and said, if they chose God, there would be some, there's something in their life right now God can use for good. What if we flipped our thinking? And what I'm essentially saying is this, is God didn't stop believing in people until his very last breath when he couldn't believe anymore. And we have a perfect example because all of humanity condemned the men, but God still saved one. And we must be people who no matter what, we're going to choose to believe the best and give opportunity and invitation to anyone at any time, anywhere, because God did it till his dying breath, and we're called to do the dang same. Once again, we're talking about how to choose a mindset of being redeemed over robbed. And this last one, and this maybe is a hard one, and I'm going to drive it home. That's why I put it at the end. We do not follow a self-preservation gospel. Now read that 10 more times. You know, once again, this is so interesting. Luke 23 specifically references six times where the people persecuting Jesus, why don't you save yourself? If you're the Savior, why don't you save yourself? If you're the Savior, why don't you save yourself? If you're the Savior, why don't you? Six times you see just in that passage of Scripture, people cannot fathom how a Savior of all humanity can't save himself. And what I'm trying to say is this. For some of us, we're looking and we're saying, God, I only want to follow you if you preserve my way of life, if you preserve my way of thinking, if you preserve my way of functioning, if you preserve my way of reasoning, if you preserve everything that I've insulated myself in currently, can you preserve this? And the moment that you don't, I doubt your existence. When we forget that when we come to God, we come to him to become like him. Righteousness, right standing with God. And see, some of us, the reason we fall away from God is God is not about preserving your life and how you perceive life to be. He's, he's interested in your life becoming like his. And man, this is a really tough thing to read because it's like, okay, God, yeah, I want you in every area of my life. But we forget when we pray that prayer that God might actually try to change things. God might actually try to take things away that we've put on the altar over him. God might try to do things that we don't agree with. God might try to become and push us into an area that we aren't really comfortable with. It's not about your self-preservation. It's about your salvation and sanctification. And what I'm trying to get at today in kind of my final closing points is this.
is we want to be redeemed but not lose anything, risk anything, be stretched in anything, grow in anything, do anything, or become like anybody other than ourselves. And that's not what it means to follow Christ. And what I'm challenging us today is this, is don't look at your life within the context of maybe the things God's taking away, maybe the difficulties that you don't understand what he's doing, and look at God and say, God, why have you robbed me? But rather, God, I trust you that you can redeem this. Because that's what Jesus had to do and God had to do in Genesis 3, is they were robbed of the plan, but God had a redemption purpose in Scripture. And if you actually told me what the theme of Scripture was, it, it's got that Ocean's Eleven element. The theme of Scripture, robbed to redeemed. And for some of us, right, the only way we've ever viewed God within the context of deep, deep commitment is Him taking away things that really matter to us instead of believing that the things that he's taken away, he can replace with things that are much better, but we're gonna have to choose to believe he can redeem the losses, he can redeem the pain, he can redeem the brokenness, he can redeem our lives. Let's all stand to our feet.